Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just say something about this passage of Scripture. This is a hard passage of Scripture. This is a tough one. But we're not going to be afraid of it. We're going to walk through it. But I want to preface it with this. I want to read something from Hebrews 12. And Brooke, you don't have to worry about bringing that up uh, on the screen. I just want to read this to you. And just to remind you of what we have, as children of God have been brought into. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You know that you are registered in heaven tonight. Your name is registered. How many of you are part of the church? Yes, right. oh, well, I mean, you're here, so kind of obvious. But you're, you are registered in heaven tonight. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is our reality, church. It, it, it is so far beyond what we know in this natural world. It is a marvelous reality. It is an eternal truth that we are eternal beings and that we are ruling and reigning with Christ. Hallelujah. The scripture says he brought us up. This is how delivered and saved you are, that he brought you up and seated you with him. In heavenly places. Jesus has the highest seat of authority and he sets you right next to him. That's a glorious thought. And the church of the living God is what Jesus is building in the earth today. It's his project. It's his plan. And his purpose is known through his church, which is also called his body. So you are all tonight members of this body, which means if this is true, or should I say since this is true, that we are all individual members of this body, then we have, we have a, a life that can demonstrate and should demonstrate Him. Since we're members of His body. You know, I heard a, uh, uh, about a, a young man who, who at, told his uh, Bible school professor, now this wasn't me, and it was somebody else, he said, he said isn't it good to know that we are safe in the arms of Jesus? And his professor said, oh, it's better than that. I'm safe as an arm of Jesus. <laughs> we are all individual members of the body of Christ. All right, we're not just a symbolic body. We are the body. This is a, this is a marvelous truth, which means then as members of the body of Christ, anything is possible. And when Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him, guess what? So can you. Because you are all members of that same body. And the very same spirit that raised him from the dead now lives, abides, and dwells in you. It's a powerful thing. It's a most wonderful thing. But this calls us up when, we, when you, when it's, it's a, it takes us to this, it, um, it lifts us in revelation is what it does. This revelation lifts us up to, to not be satisfied with just a normal kind of everyday existence. But to understand that because he is in us, then we have a great purpose and a great call in this earth. Every one of you 
have an enormous call on your life. Enormous. Because the enormous one is in you. And he is the God of more than enough. And he said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So that we could never get satisfied, but we always can expect more. We always know that God wants to do more to us and through us and for us so that we never get dull in our walk with God. Because this path of the righteous, the scripture says, is like the light of dawn. It gets, grows brighter and brighter to the full day. Every day with him, you should, your light should be shining a little bit more, a little bit more. I was hunting with my brother several years ago. It was actually many, many years ago now. It's, we were living out in West Texas still at the time. And we'd gotten up early, and uh, we'd uh, got ready to, to walk toward our, our deer blinds that morning. It was about maybe 5, 5.30 that morning. It was... And it was especially dark because the moon wasn't out. And um, so I just bought a brand new flashlight, and I was excited to use it. Uh, but he didn't have one. And so I gave him my new flashlight to use as we're just following these trails and walking out through the cedar brush. You know, you have to have a, a light to be able to see. And then I remembered I had my old trusty one still in my jacket that I always just kept there throughout the year. So my brother took off, and I had about maybe half a mile to three-quarters of a mile walk through to, to find my deer blind. And so I pull out my little flashlight, and as I'm walking along, this thing immediately starts getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. I'm thinking, you know, I've never changed the batteries out in this flashlight. What a great time to notice. But what was strange is as I'm trying to follow this course by the guidance of this light, I keep finding myself off of the, the beaten path, and I'm just, I keep finding myself out in the grass. I'm, I'm like, what is wrong with this thing? And as I'm following this light, I just keep finding myself wondering. And you know what I found out? I could see better with the dim light off than I could with the dim light on. So you have a testimony in your life, and Jesus said, let that testimony shine. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men. Because if you don't let it so shine, you might lead them in the wrong direction. You don't want to be a dim light when you can be a bright light. And Paul is going to address this, this matter in a way that is, when you first read it, it's like, whoa. But we're going to walk through it together and see why Paul uses the language that he does now, we understand that the Apostle Paul is the Apostle of the Gentiles and brought to us this gospel of grace. He said it was a mystery that was hidden throughout the ages, but now has been revealed. That is Christ in us, us, the heathen, the pagans, that God would come and not only look to Israel as his own special people, but now he's invited all of us through his son into this marvelous family. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you ready? Now, let me just say that there's really not much that you can do. I found this, and I think some of you, Pastor Brian, I think you can attest to this, that you can do for someone who has built a wall of pride around themselves. It's virtually impossible to help them. And Paul addresses the matter of the Corinthian church's pride. He deals with them very lovingly, but aggressively too. 
Remember we talked about those, especially those first three chapters where he just hammers away at their division and the reason for their division. They were divided over who to listen to teach. Well, I'm of Paul or I listen to Apollos and I get his podcast. It's a lot better. Um, and then, and then just, their, just their overall division and that they were, they were grouping up into different sects, uh, which is sectarianism, which is just this de- mad devotion to some man-made doctrine. And... Um, so he, he hammers away at that, and, and so now that he has their attention, he opens up chapter 5, and so now he's going to take them from just getting their attention, and now the Apostle Paul is going to pull out the surgical knife and start doing some serious spiritual surgery. And this, this first cut that he's going to make is going to go very deep. And we're going to see here in chapter 5 a very glaring immorality that gets brought to the surface And like I said, there are some difficult scriptures before us tonight, but if you'll just be patient, we'll walk through this. I understand that the Astros are playing right now, but it ain't the Rangers, so I don't really care. But you're going to see and sense Paul's true anguish in this this text. And yes, partly because of of the gross sin that that is taking place, but really in large part, it has to do with the church's response to that or lack of response to it. And we're going to see that the the Corinthians, it's odd that they strangely are united in their tolerance of this sin. (laughs) That we we see in these earlier chapters that they are divided where they should be united, but here they're united where they should be divided. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Now, he's talking to Gentiles here, but he's talking about the Gentiles that, that are unbelievers. All right? They're not even named among the pagans or the heathen or whatever you might, sinners, okay? That a man has his father's wife. A man has his father's wife. He said, listen, if you are sinning a sin that you make unbelievers blush, Huh? Then you have veered way off the reservation, my friend. He said, they don't even do even the unbelievers have some scruples. They don't even do this. And this is happening in the church. A man has his father's wife. Are you kidding me? Now, uh, if it was his natural mother, it would probably say his mother. But either way, it's nasty. All right? It's his stepmother. All right? Now, this, this, this term sexual immorality just simply means any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. Hey, can I remind you today? It's still sin. I don't care what messages the world keeps bringing and how they continue to embrace. And No, it's okay as long as you're sincere and as long as you love the person. Nope. Wrong. Anything outside of marriage... In the way of sex is sin. Okay. I still love you. I hope you still love me. But this man is in an active, open, very present sexual relationship with his father's wife. So in the Greek tense, it's something that has continued to go on. It's not just some one-night stand. It's an ongoing relationship. And now it's out in the open, and the church's lack of reaction is what has Paul stirred up. Verse 2, and you are puffed up, or some uh, versions read that you are arrogant. 
or prideful and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. The word mourn, it's, it's, a, it's got a real deep sense to it. It means to grieve as in grieving for someone that you've lost in death, to bewail. But the fact that they have simply accepted this as it is, and it's not that Paul is even saying that they're celebrating this sin, and I don't think the church was celebrating their sin. Uh, this sin, what they were doing was celebrating their tolerance of it, their acceptance of it, that it was okay for believers to act like this as members of the body of Christ. Hey, I, th- I think the American church is struggling in this way today. Um, unfortunately, more focused on numbers than making disciples. Now, let me, let me be clear with you tonight that our, our message here at One Cause Church is always and always will be come as you are. Always. But here's the thing. None of us wants to remain as we are. We want you to come as you are, but I can guarantee you an encounter with Jesus is going to change things for you. This good news, this gospel moves us. It compels us to something greater. It calls us up. Helps us understand a life with God is the ultimate life. Us just living life as it is and taking our punches and is so far away from the reality of being a part of the body of Christ. And we all, hey, did we all come as we were? I mean, yeah. But upon hearing this good news, I don't know about you, but I could not stay as I was. I wanted to change. Because an encounter with Christ is what does it. And if anyone be in Christ, the scripture says he's a new creation. Old things are gone and new things have come. I love the church. It is the place of continual new beginnings. It's the place where we grow. We grow up. We mature. We move forward. Can I get a good amen? Amen. And, And we're continually being conformed to the image of his son and transformed by his glorious grace. Verse three, for I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. So Paul says, listen, I know because the, the reports have, co- have come to me. And if the reports have come to me, then the reports are in the church. And if the reports are in the church, then the reports are outside of the church. Which means the world's not seeing the different life. The world's not seeing you let your light so shine before men. I mean, come on. How many, how many of you have encountered this? I, I have on a number, number of occasions. As soon as Somebody finds out you're a Christian and you're in the atmosphere of the unbeliever. They are waiting for you to fail. And the moment you do, bam, you call yourself a Christian. Huh? Just ready to pounce on it. Wait till you're a pastor. Lord have mercy. And you're supposed to be a pastor. No, I am a pastor, actually. Not perfect, but believe me, I didn't choose this. It chose me. So Paul is the apostle. Listen, he's the one who founded this church. He is the voice of authority here. So he's using his apostolic authority to tell you, to tell this church, listen, this is the judgment call I've made on him who's done this deed. And now he's going to give them instruction on what to do from here. Look at this. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered, and I notice what he's saying, this is a corporate thing. You're all doing this together. This isn't just one person in the church making this call. You do this as a body, as a collected body. All right? Now watch. In the name of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at all the firepower you got here. Look at all the help you have. You have the Apostle Paul's stamp of approval, and you have the name of Jesus to back you up. Now watch. Del- <laughs> Deliver such a one to Satan. Whoa. For the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What in the world did you just say, Paul? Deliver this guy to Satan? For the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to, we just heard what he said, but I want you to also hear what he didn't say. He did not say condemn this person to hell. No human has that authority. He said to Satan for the destruction of what? The flesh, so that the spirit may be what? Because see, we're talking about this man is not an unbeliever, he's a believer. And this is not a believer who is weak in sin and struggling in sin. This is a believer who is gloating in his sin. Whole different kind of deal. And a very sick and twisted sin. I mean, all of it's sick and twisted, but I mean, this is like. <sighs> he says, deliver him over to Satan. Why did he say it like that? I want us to compare that to another passage of Scripture for just a moment. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Let's turn over there for just a moment and see what he says here. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. Does that say any trespass? Any? Over to any trespass, which is sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Well, that doesn't sound, that sounds a lot nicer than this. <laughs> right? Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. But here, I mean, how can you deliver someone to Satan and, it's, and how can you deliver that gently? On to the devil. Now, uh, we're releasing you to the prince of darkness. Good luck. I mean, how do you do that? So here's the deal. It depends on the situation. He's talking about if a man is overtaken. Now, that's different if someone has fallen into a sin rather than someone who is openly living this, gloating in it. You understand? It's different if you're weak and, and, and you are repentant and you want help and you're trying and you're struggling and you're falling, but you, you, you understand you're acknowledging that this is a problem. This man's not acknowledging this is a problem. You, say, you hear what I'm saying? And the church has fully accepted it as okay. This is a big problem because it's not just one man's life that's at stake. This is the entire church that's at stake now. The entire church now is at stake. Now watch, we're going to see what he, what he says by this. Uh, uh, let's go back to, to, to the chapter 5. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now it's interesting that there's another place over in Timothy where he says the same thing, and he talks about these two specific men, and he names them. It's unfortunate if you're going to have your name in the Bible to have it in this way. 
A man by the name of Hymenius and the other one is Alexander. And Paul says, I delivered them to Satan so they'll learn not to blaspheme. What does that mean to deliver to Satan? Because when a person has chosen to live as a believer, to live by the flesh, that is an invitation to allow the enemy to come in and wreak havoc in your life. Because the truth is, he doesn't have any power over you. Jesus unraveled the works of the devil. That's what the scripture says. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil. It, it literally means to unravel, render, the, render him powerless. But would you bring up that Peter scripture, 1 Peter, is it 5, 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Look, seeking whom he what? May devour. He, he, got, he can't just devour. But it says, if you give him permission, he's just looking for the opportunity for permission. And if you say, come on in, now you've allowed him entrance into your life. And with him, he's come to do three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. All right? So now... Uh, Paul is saying, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, he is under a certain covering in this body, in this fellowship. And as long as he's there, then, then you are in, in some ways protecting him with your prayers and by your fellowship. But when you pull away that way, then you allow him then to become prey to the devil. And destruction of the flesh can look like two things. And I don't really think that Paul is saying that this man needs to die. He might, but really the acts of the flesh. And for the destruction of the flesh, the, 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 carnal, uh, the carnality of the individual, one who's just living his life by animal appetites, just by the, the desires of the flesh, that he will stop that once he realizes this is no road I want to go down. And I can't be amongst my brothers and sisters and live this way, then I'm going to have to make a change. And surely this is what he's looking for, and I can guarantee you that's exactly what Paul was looking for. He was not looking for this man to die. I know all this looks really harsh, but my family, you have to understand something. This man is here, and he's paying a high price preaching this gospel. And he's establishing churches wherever he goes. And everywhere he goes, he gets, in, he gets whipped, he gets imprisoned, he gets riots, uh, 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 ensue wherever he goes and then he's shipwrecked and all kinds of horrific things. He's paying the highest price that he possibly can to build this church. And so he's looking at the corporate body. He's looking at the larger picture. And see, one of the problems I think with, with, with leadership at times, and I'm not going to point out any uh, past administrations by name here in the United States of America, but I can tell you this. You have a, the, the difference in a good leader as a president of the United States, this is just one thing. I, I don't, I'm not going to say all the, get on a political platform. All I'm going to say is, is that those who seek the good of the individual are those who seek the good of all. That, that marks the difference between the kind of president we're going to have. Because when they go after the American to help the American and not look at America as a whole, that's when we get weak. When you take up everybody's cause rather than the cause of who we really are as a nation. And Paul, here in this moment, has to help them see the bigger picture. This is about the church. The entire church, this entire congregation is at stake here. So you have to remove this 
so that you will not be influenced by that because a little leaven, he keeps on saying, he, a little later on, he said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, every time the word is leaven, the word leaven is used in Scripture. You all know what leaven is? Okay? It is, it is a uh, uh, yeast, and it, once it is applied to the dough, it takes over. It influences every part of that dough and causes it to, to rise. So he's saying that you cannot have him there and not be influenced by his character. It's always used in a negative way. And he's saying you have to purge out the old leaven so that you can truly live the unleavened kind of life. And that, that is a, a life of sincerity and truth dedicated to God. Are you with me tonight? Okay, so watch this for just a moment. For just a moment. And then I'll, I'll take a couple of questions. All right? Um, mm, Okay, let's go to 2 Corinthians 2 for just a moment. I want you to see, this is not the end of the story. He ends up talking to them about how, he ends up talking to the church about, and he says, listen, I'm not talking about the unbeliever outside of the church. He said, not to keep company with them. He says, well, you live in this world. You can't do that. You have to go out of the world to do that. He says, I'm talking about keeping company with those that are named a brother and sister who are continuing to live a life that does not represent Christ. All right? He says, you don't need to keep company with them because they are under another influence. They've chosen to live by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Now watch. Second, second Corinthians. So now uh, we're going to see what happened as a result of them. Well, hopefully they did it. 2 Corinthians 2, 1. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by, by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul said, I want to come and find that you're sorrowful because that's just going to make me sorrowful. You're the ones who make me joyful. All right, that's what I want to... I want to see. For out of much affliction, now watch this. Now you're going to, we're going to catch this. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. So this was not an easy letter for Paul to write to this church. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have for you so abundantly. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, speaking of this man, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This man's actions are what has caused their grief. And now their grief has caused Paul to grieve. Verse 6, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. In other words, he's saying, listen, what you did by following my instructions, this is the sufficient punishment for him for what he's done. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Whoa, this is kind of a change of tone here, isn't it? You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Oh, there's a good ending to this. This man didn't go off into an early death in his life. Something happened when the church stood up, and don't you know it was not easy for them to follow the Apostle Paul's instructions. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Jones, we as the members of uh, the body of Christ of Corinth are been given instruction, and in the name of Jesus, we now deliver you to Satan. That's not an easy conversation to have. And it 
worked. The man apparently broke when he heard those words and became very sorrowful. And so they wrote to Paul and said, now what do we do? This man is grieved like crazy. He's sorrowful. Help us. What do we do? And Paul said, now look what he says. Reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote, that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we know that the man repented, became sorrowful for his terrible sin, and Paul said, okay, listen, really, the whole goal of this thing is to restore. That's what we're here to do. We don't want to have a sad ending for a Christian's life. Restore that man, bring him back into fellowship, and let's keep moving forward. It's a marvelous thing. But the, the punishment, he says, was sufficient for this man, and it really had to do with the degree of the perversion that he was living in and the fact that the church cannot continue and can't ever accept this behavior is okay. We accept people. Don't get me wrong. We always love and accept people. Are you hearing me? We love one another. But my family, we do have a standard as the body of Christ. Uh, Our lives should look different, should be different. Amen. Okay. Wow. Wow. Anybody have a question tonight? Wow, really? Hmm. I thought for sure there might be some questions on this one. Oh, Chris has one. Yes. You want to take it? Take that mic to him. Or a different one. That's fine. <laughs> Pastor, what, what, is, what, what is that? What did Paul mean when he said deliver him to Satan? I mean, is that a physical act or basically saying there's the door, you're on your own? Yeah, I, uh, because later on he talks about to not have fellowship with them. So I think they probably had to make the decision. In the Amplified it says, uh, uh, kick him out of the church. That's what the Amplified version says, to get him out. He can't be there with you if he's going to continue to live like that. And then when he, he was, for, when he was um, sorrowful, sorrowful mm-hmm. that's when the church could open up its arms and comfort him and, Absolutely. and, and, and be there to and bring him back in, to guide That's him. exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Listen, one of, the, one, of the most, one of the difficult things is, and one of the things that we don't really focus on too much as the body of Christ today, is that we do have a responsibility to keep each other accountable. Hmm? And we can't live our lives as members of a body of Christ that say, well, that's none of your business. This, the church is not an American institution. Hmm? Come on, I need a real good amen right there. I know you do. I know, I know. I know this goes sideways. But how can we truly grow and how can we really be healed if we're not confessing our faults to one another, if we're not helping one another, if we're not stirring up one another to good works? This is the place because if the church isn't doing it, guess what? They're going to end up going seeing a counselor or they're going to end up popping pills to try to deal with their issues over and over again when you can get all that healing and restoration right here. So we can't be afraid to love one another in such a way that we talk to each other and ask one another the the hard questions. 
and, and look each other in the eyes and have true, authentic relationship here. Where it's not just, hello, how you doing, just like everybody else. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. Hmm? Yes. And if you all do that for each other, our counseling time will go way down. <laughs> I'm doing all your jobs. I'm just kidding. No, but really, it's, it's a marvelous thing. And so this is something, because remember it says in, as in Galatians where it said to you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That word spiritual just means to be governed by the Spirit. Uh, I think we can all be governed by the Spirit. Amen. And then it says, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. One of the greatest things about the church is burden bearing. I don't want to burden you with this, then why are you here? Why are you here? Because that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Huh? We get in each other's mess and we help each other through the mess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amen. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, we're my, uh, yes, get Pastor Brian a mic right quick. Take, we'll go about five or ten more minutes. Is y'all good with that? Um, okay. Yeah, my question's just uh, uh, to a certain extent, it's as an overseer, but it's also uh, to the extent of uh, putting it in the appropriate context for the church body at large. Because mm -hmm. I know church discipline is a hot hot button issue yeah, so to speak right it is. um who makes the call and when uh like, like whose responsibility is it to institute such a such a measure uh, it's it's stevens okay <laughs> <laughs> you um, here's the judge right here on the front row <laughs> make friends with the judge but uh <laughs> i guess more more to the point and kind of could you put um it's a good question church discipline in the context of grace for me too are they uh contradictory no. Or are they, uh, no. are they, uh, do they work together and how? Absolutely, they work together. Um, just like uh, Hebrews teaches us that, that our Father God chastens us and chastises us. Now, let me tell you the difference between chastening and punishing. There's a difference. Jesus was punished for our sins. But there is a discipline, there is a correction that happens, and there's a chastising that happens. Well, I guess I got sick because God's wanting me to learn something. No, that's not God. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. With his stripes you were healed. He didn't heal you and also make you sick. Don't buy into that stupid lie. Hey, let's remember there is a devil. He needs, getting, he needs to get credit for what he's doing and stop giving God credit for everything. All right? God is good. The devil's bad. Boop. There it is. Okay? But the Father corrects us. And let me tell you how your Heavenly Father is going to correct you with his word. He's going to correct you with his word. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. In your Bible reading, you read a scripture and you go, oh, I wish I hadn't read that. Because you know, I mean, it just touches right on, on your behavior. Or sometimes Pastor Eric preaches a message and you're like, oh my God, how does he know? Hey, I know, I've sat there, I've heard, I, I continue to hear these messages. My dad used to do it to me all the time. I'm thinking, does he have a camera in my room? I mean, how does... Huh? You know what I'm talking about. This, this, this is how he brings correction. Because Paul taught Timothy that the word, preach the word because it, all scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for instruction in righteousness, for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, for all those things. So we're going to receive correction from our heavenly father by his word. Jesus told his disciples, you are already clean because of the word. So uh, this is how he, discipline happens. Now, in the church setting... It depends on 
what that thing is. Um, remember, Jesus gives instruction on how that we turn a, a brother or a sister from their error. If they have faulted, then you go to them and you confront them about that. If they won't hear you, then you bring two or three witnesses with you and maybe have a discussion and have other advice there from the other ones that say, come on, man, you know, you need to fix this. You need to make this right. If he won't hear them, then you bring it before the church. And then if he won't hear them, well, then you have to say goodbye. So there is a process to it. And um, in, in, in the in the church in Corinth, I really do think that this was a very special circumstance. This is not something that needs to happen on a regular basis in church. But what I am saying is, is that we have a responsibility to one another, to help one another, to stir one another up. And when we see that our brother or sister is in error, call them on it. Talk to them about it. Say, hey, can I help you? Why, why are you doing that? Why you got that funky attitude? What's, what's going on with that? All right, because in the house, in this place, this is the safe. We're not here being one another's judge. And if you see that, well, stop judging me. Hey, calm down a second. All right, let's, let's be mature about this. All right, before we run and, and rant out here in a, in a cyber world where we, no, we don't have to answer to anybody, let's look each other in the eye and have a real conversation. All right, and deal with some of these things. Yes, ma'am. It's the last question tonight, Miss Ashley's going to ask. <clears throat> Okay, so then along the lines, kind of what Brian was saying, so then where is the discernment as far as when something is shared with a brother? Say you're someone that goes to church somewhere and you're aware of someone's actions and behavior. Now, I realize mm -hmm. that man was being flagrant about it, but Christians, mm -hmm. to me, are a lot more, you know, discreet and careful with their sin in a different way, you know, nowadays, you know, and so there's a lot of things going on that maybe, you know, they're not, they might not necessarily be telling everybody at church, uh -huh. but they, they're living in a very apparent sin. So where, where is the believer's responsibility to then, you know, air quote, tattletale? Do you see what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, because I'm sure that that's, you know, there's, well, did that's their business. You know, there's, there's, there's discretion yeah. there that has to be used. When do you you know what I mean, uh, step into that role where then mm -hmm. you go and turn them over to the, you know, because I'm sure there's people struggling with that. I mean, that's just more of a practical question, but. Yeah, I would say if, if you go to church with them, I would say that would be the, really the thing that would give you some entrance uh, to be able to talk to them. But I would say before that, if you don't have much of a relationship, I would develop a relationship first. <laughs> you know, before you just say, hey, I saw you, and they're like, who are you again? <laughs> I've said hi to you five times at church, right? Uh, there needs to be, it depends on the level of relationship. You're, and I would you're say. You're saying the first step then is that you are the one, just like Jesus said, you're the one to go to them first. You don't turn them over to that, the authority. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You wouldn't, go to, you wouldn't go to the pastor and, tap, you know what I mean, like yeah. gossip. No, I don't recommend that. I recommend looking them in the eye and dealing with it. That's, that's great. Imagine that. I think that's great. It gives a lot of responsibility to the believer, which is great. Yeah. We do have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens and to help one another. Remember, we're, we're, this, is, this is what love does. Huh? You make choices for your children because you love them, even though they're not going to like some of the things that you choose. They're going to feel like you're being mean or picking on them, or, but you know better, right? You know for their good. So this is good. You know what? I think we'll just kind of carry this into next week and and, uh, and continue to discuss this. This is important. It's good for us. And uh, praise God. Thank you guys for being here tonight. This is very good. Let's stand together and pray for you.
Don't forget Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Reformation Sunday. Very excited about that. It's going to be a good day. If there, if, is there anyone here tonight that um, is in need of healing? I, I want you to raise your hand where you are. I'm just going to pray for you right where you're standing. If you just dealing with any kind of pain or sickness or something, just, just raise your hand where you are. Amen. Father, thank you right now. If you're around someone with their hand up, if you'll just gently lay your hand on them, we're just going to agree because we're going to tap into some avenues to receive healing. One of those is that we lay hands on the sick and the infirmed and they recover. Praise God. So, and we also have the prayer of agreement. Isn't that good? Two or three agree is touching anything that shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. So Lord, we thank you for healing, that it is a virtue that is in full force today because our Savior purchased it for us. In the same afternoon that blood was shed for our sins, stripes were laid on your back for our healing. Lord, I thank you right now that you sent your word and you healed them and delivered them from their destruction. We thank you right now, Father, that healing is at work and sickness and pain and and disease and discomfort. All those things are leaving these bodies. We take authority over them in the name of Jesus and we say be healed. Every tissue, every cell, every fiber of their being to operate and function at peak proficiency in the name of Jesus. Thank you for it now. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for blessing your people as they go out of here tonight, just like they've been blessed and they're coming in. I thank you, Father God, that you have made them the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, first, not last, victors, no longer victims. Thank you that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us and brought us near to God. Father, I thank you that tonight they will go home, they will lay down tonight, they will both lie down, as David said, and sleep and in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. Thank you for peace over every home here. Every man and woman and and child, Father, thank you in Jesus' name for blessing these families abundantly, Father. And that they go in grace and so shall they find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. In Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.